This event was recorded live at the 2015 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. It's my pleasure uh, to introduce you to one of our Babylon spoken word um, authors, the hottest, name in the hottest name in spoken word today, George the Poet. Thank you. Um, my name is Neil Walker, I'm a librarian and in a minute, I will very, very briefly tell you why I uh, was adamant that it would have to be my job to introduce George, George the Poet to you all this evening. And then um, we're going to pass over to George, and he's going to tell you about his story and his book. And crucially, you'll all get an opportunity um, at the end of the event to ask George any uh, pressing questions that you've either come with on your mind this evening or come to you during the hour. Um, a few m bits of housekeeping. Um, this isn't an amateur production like Benedict Cumberbatch's Hamlet. I'm going to have to insist you all switch off your phones if they are on. Um, if you wish to tweet during the event, the hashtag is, Ed, is hashtag EdBrookFest, and uh, you can tweet uh, when the house lights come up and it's time for questions, but preferably not before that. Um, I also have to ask if uh, please don't leave the event for, um, until George and I go to the signing tent, which is two doors down on the left at the end. Uh, just so everyone can fully enjoy the experience. Uh, lastly, um, if any of you haven't seen it yet, this is George's new book, Search Party, published by Virgin Books, and it's on sale in the Edinburgh International Book Festival bookshop and at the signing tent. Um, very briefly, uh, it's been, I'm from Edinburgh, and it's been my privilege to work with thousands of children and young people as their librarian in Edinburgh and some of the, our city's most successful schools and with some of our most vulnerable young people in our care homes. Um, as many of you will know, George has been nominated for uh, several prestigious prizes in, over the last year, and they're rolling on. He's recently been uh, nominated for the MTV Sound of 2015 or Name of 2015 award. Thanks. And recognised uh, by the BBC and the Brit Awards. Uh, but that's not why I asked uh, to introduce George this evening. Um, professional and academic critics of poetry are acclaiming about George and using him in, uh, in their studies. He only graduated two years ago and he's already referenced material. Um, but that's not why I asked to introduce George this evening. <laughs> The reason I asked to introduce George this evening is the people who introduced me to his music, which I hope you'll have an opportunity to, to talk to you about if you've not already listened to, uh, were young people, were 16, 15, 17 year olds who I met in the schools that I worked in, in the public libraries I worked in, in the care homes that I worked in, and they said, Neil or Mr. Walker, you've got, you've got to listen to this guy. And I did, and it moved me and inspired me, George's music but not as much as it moved me to see how inspired they were. And I was working with uh, young boys, young boys, girls, young men, young women, who uh, were nev never had an interest in poetry before listening to George's music and now reading his book. Um, and to enjoy writing poetry themselves today 
um, who their English teachers struggled to get anything from um, before they read or listened to um, George's trademark, honest, witty, rhythmic verse. Um, there's actually a, two of the, uh, when, I, when it was confirmed that I would get to introduce George tonight, uh, I went back and spoke to uh, some of the young people I worked with who, because I wanted to know what, crucially what they thought about George's music and George's poems rather than what I thought. Um, and uh, a student who I'd worked with in high school, who's recently, um, just this year, um, well last year, sorry, been accepted uh, into George's alma mater, the University of Cambridge, uh, said uh, that she loved his poems and she used, um, I think it was Go Home, um, one of George's poems in her seminar and that it was something that she and her uh, classmates at Cambridge enjoyed discussing and would follow up on. And a boy who I worked with who asked his opinion of it um, and he said that uh, the setup uh, really spoke to him and his friends and uh, he's recently just finished um, a stay at Her Majesty's Pleasure. Um, and I thought, uh, it's got to be a powerful and influential person who can speak to young people as diverse as that. Uh, and that's why I'm delighted to introduce you to George the Poet this evening. I'll stand up, I'll stand up. <laughs> um, thank you very much for the warm welcome, Neil, as well. I was, really, I was just speaking with Neil outside before we went in, and he was explaining to me about um, some of his young people and what, what they thought of, um, how they were receiving my work. And that always brings me right back to the core, the essence of exactly why I started this. Um, when I was six years old, um, my, my younger brother was born, and... I'm, I'm from a Ugandan family. In our, in our culture, there's quite an expectation that older siblings will take care of the younger siblings. So a lot of responsibility was entrusted to both myself and my, my older brother um, over our younger siblings. And um, through that responsibility, I really found myself. I felt like I, I, I was privileged um, to grow um, at, 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 the, at the pace required of someone entrusted with um, the care of a young person. And I always felt as though my younger siblings brought out the best in me. I saw the best version of myself in the eyes of, of, of the infants, of the babies. <clears throat> and the older I grew, as I progressed through um, adolescence and um, in, my late, in, my, in my later teen years, I, I realized that um, when, where, whenever I didn't know exactly where I stood, whenever my opinion changed in relation to the faith that I grew up with or um, my, my academic achievements or my career choices, everything became a lot clearer when I spent time with my younger siblings because I saw what I wanted for them. And I suppose that really inspired the, the, um, the, the, the desire to be constructive in, in my art form. So when I was 15 years old, um, I started rapping. I'd, I'd been writing verse for about a year before I, 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 you know, I was shy, before I publicly came out and started rapping with the rest of my friends. Um, uh, at the time, what was, what was cool was, was, was grime music. Grime music was, a, was quite a young phenomenon. It was young at the time, and it was popular among young people. And um, it came from, a, from a, a community, a society that was very defensive. The reason for the defensiveness was fear. 
We were uh, scared of the police, we were scared of wider society, and oftentimes we were scared of each other. So what we did was put on a bravado. We used the music to talk about how sturdy we were, how, how able we were to hold our own ground, and how no one could mess with us. And um, being a young art form among young people, that, was often, uh, that often became quite a destructive energy. Some of the music or the content of the music became quite gratuitously violent or negative. And me being in my mid-teens at the time, coming of age, people around me started dropping like flies. When I was 17 years old, London had the record number of deaths for, um, for, for teenagers at, at, at 28. And in the years leading up to that, there, were, there was a lot of knife crime, there was a lot of gun crime in my area. This was very unsettling. I was, I was from the borough, from one of the two boroughs, um, which was the, uh, the, 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 the reason behind um, the police force from the Met, from the Met uh, Trident, aimed specifically at tackling black-on-black -black, uh, violence. Um, so a lot of these narratives were I, I was exposed to when I was younger. I didn't know exactly what to make of them until I started studying sociology at the age of 17. And all sorts of information that had been staring me in the face my whole life started to be explained to me a little more. And this inevitably fed into my writing. So I'm going to share some poems with you from, uh, from, from my book, The Search Party. Now what I want you to know about this book is that it's in three parts. These three parts chart the, 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 the progression of my journey. So I started off as quite an angry young man. I, 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 wasn't, I didn't realize I was angry because I was always laughing. But <laughs> that's just psychotic. <laughs> but um, uh, this, is, this is a piece from my, um, from my angry years. Entitled St. Raphael's Estate, after the estate on which I grew up. I'm from Raf's, home of guns and staffs. Shooters running up on duns and calves. In year six, he was getting level ones in maths. A couple grams later, he's better with numbers. Getting a gun, because youngers are wetting up youngers. Parents' debt is humongous. Dead end wherever you run, because hunters are stepping up funds if they don't get enough punters. We don't want to be those old men in the bookies, betting our funds as drunkards. Smoking like we're forgetting our lungs have fungus. Watching the effects of poverty getting our youngers youngers. Shots sound like fireworks when I wake up at night. Mum screaming out the window trying to break up a fight. I don't know anyone who was born and raised here, spent all them days here without no incidents. So when I watch a child grow into this, I know it's not about coincidence. You go into this mad world with nothing but a phone in your hand, just a handheld, but no one's holding your hand. You can read about the ghetto and watch the film Roots, but you won't get it till you cotch with rural youths. Watch ghetto girls play hopscotch in little boots. Even when the food ain't top-notch, it still shoots. And we chill on the blocks and build zoots. Are we like this because we're here? Or are we here because we're like this? Either way, life wasn't meant to be like this, but we're mentally fighters. Fuck an identity crisis. You can come to RAS for guns and staffs. A lot of homes are broken. A lot of sons are mad. Every other kid that becomes a shot or wants a dad, you wouldn't believe the pressure a lot of youngsters had. The grass is always greener, but not amongst the sad. They say the apple never falls far from the tree, but what doesn't it get called rotten once it's bad? You won't understand me if you don't know raffs. Crackheads, prostitutes and sociopaths. You can't avoid offending the hotheads. 
shit local schools defending their Ofsteds. Four faces you've never seen before, watching everyone who looks 17 or more from a tinted car, pretending they're not feds. Essential services that haven't got a budget. You try and rise above it, but everything around you says you're not above it. It's all you got. You gotta love it. Sorry if I offended anyone. <laughs> Thank you. That's cool. <laughs> if your phone does go, you might want to switch your phone off just to avoid that situation. But if it does go off, you do not have to stop, drop, and roll. Just. <laughs> just, just <laughs> We have technology for these things. <laughs> but um, um, it's, it's beautiful to be able to deliver a poem like that and, and, and be received in, in, in that fashion because I find it very uncomfortable delivering those poems. Um, I didn't find it uncomfortable when I wrote it because when I wrote it, it was a very personal affair. I wrote it on reflection on things that had gone in my, on in my life and my primary audience was the people that I grew up with, the people around me who were accustomed to hearing this. But I'll never forget this day in Cambridge, in my first year, um, when I, I started releasing my poems online. And I had this, po this poem called Powerless, in which I had articulated a lot of um, the issues that I had outlined in that poem from a particularly frustrated stance. And I was kind of saying, uh, you know, when I make it out of this environment, you guys will never see me again. I was, I was really angry. And someone who wasn't from that environment, came up to me in the university. And I really respect them for this because we didn't have that close of a rapport, but they took it upon themselves to be honest with me. And they said, George, I don't know if you realize, but saying that kind of thing here sends the wrong message to a lot of people. I was quite defensive. So how do you mean? They said, well, it sounds like you're basically blaming the people in your community for the problems in your community. I said, well, maybe I am. <laughs> and they said, well, that's unfortunate because not everyone was there with you. And it looks to me like you've taken a lot of stuff very personally. Now, we didn't really see eye to we, we had to agree to disagree at the end of that conversation. But to me, that was crazy. I thought, how can I not take it personally? Until I realized I was at, I was at Cambridge studying social and political sciences. Probably time for me to stop taking things so personally and be a bit objective. But that was a process for me. And um, the poems, like I said, in part one, outlined the process I was going through. Another uh, thing that I started paying a lot of attention to was um, the kind of family structures that were around my community and uh, some of the self-perpetuating challenges that we found within those family structures. So this is um, paid, uh, payday. This one is called His Mistakes, which was inspired by a conversation that I had with um, a, a young female friend of mine. And I can't find the poem. Here it's page 18. Every mood swing was a different mask that he'd worn as protection. You treat him like he'd asked to be born. But you're the one that finds it hard to be warm. He tries, he tries his best not to cause you any trouble, but you never hesitate to rock his boat. Slap him in the face because he forgot his coat. Let's be honest, though. You know it's not his fault. 
It's not about discipline. Sister, you're stressed. You're mad at your worst and you're pissed at your best. You've contemplated and opening your, your wrist and your chest is heavy. You don't have someone to talk to. It's all bottled up. Because once you've undone the corkscrew, you won't gain nothing from some dumb support group. And your son don't understand what a pistis takes. So he pays a heavy price for his mistakes. So heavy each shoulder's numb. He knows it's dumb, but for your sake he holds his tongue and holds a grudge. Holds it within. With no release until he's old enough to go to the gym. You see, I know it's not my business, babes. But can we have a quick word, just as mates? Given that some of the fault is this estate's, should he have to pay for his mistakes? She has a volatile temperament. She has a volatile temperament. So she tends to vent until her temper's spent. And she doesn't notice the efforts you make, even when you give 110%. Sometimes you catch her looking at you funny. Sunshine doesn't even seem too sunny. Because if instead of enjoying a cool breeze, She'd rather moan and complain about your school fees. Like you asked to be born. Like you're a bad spirit given a chance to reform in this bastardly form. Like you're the one that found it hard to be warm. Like we can trade in the cars that we've drawn. Like you enjoyed all the times you annoyed her. Like you exploit her like the guy who employs her. Like you like having to dodge and avoid her. Like you like looking like the man who destroyed her. It wasn't your fault. But please don't resent her for rocking your boat just because of your coat. Just like you, she didn't get a say. She doesn't know why there couldn't be a better way. She wants to see her sun shine, but all, predict all predictions of the weather say tomorrow's going to be a wetter day. Looking at the payslip numbers, you can't tell. But back in the day, your mum was a smart girl. She just never has any money for Christmas breaks because she, she spent all of it paying for his mistakes. She single-handedly raised you. For that alone, there's a lot of praise due. As for him, you can't pretend you don't fantasize. But his identity something you can romanticize. Even though you're a child, he was scared to claim she's the only one there to blame. But you have your own mistakes to make. Don't repeat theirs. Learn to bear the pain. She's invested everything she's got in you. So think of these investments as business stakes. A parent's shortcomings aren't a kid's disgrace. You're just man enough to cover his mistakes. He second-guessed his worth. That's an error that many beginners make. But even though you were an accident, you weren't necessarily a mistake. Thank you. So, um, as I said, my friend and I didn't quite see eye to eye when we had that conversation. Um, and I felt on the defensive. I felt like I've come out here with uh, genuine stories from my community, uh, which might be a hard pill for you to swallow, but I didn't manufacture this situation. It requires some articulation. But what I couldn't refute about my, my friend's concerns were that, ultimately, for those who didn't go on this journey with me, there, was no, there wasn't enough context. And there would never be enough context. Because anything that comes out of my mouth will only be a snippet, a snapshot of the experience to which I can bear witness. So I became conscious of this dual burden. On the one hand, there's the, there's the requirement 
of, of authenticity. On the other hand, you've got to be responsible in your journalism. So how do I do responsible journalism from a perspective where I don't know the best thing to say? And in struggling with that duality, I came to a kind of new phase, which is the second chapter in my book, of reflection. Now, conveniently, this happened as I was really getting sinking my teeth into my university course, which just happened to be the study of society. Um, but this brought about a, a kind of personal, uh, a very deep personal moment for me. And um, one poem that kind of speaks to this is, uh, is, is, is My City. Now, My City is a poem that I, I released in 2012 when I was in my second year of uni, uh, speaking about um, the duality of London. At the time, uh, the Olympics were on the horizon and the Queen's Jubilee, and there was a lot of um, you know, positive propaganda about London. And I, I, I felt as though I, I don't want to be the guy to come and fuck up the fun. I don't want <laughs> <laughs> to rain on anyone's parade. I want to I partake in, 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 in the glory. However, I, I would like to see just a, a generally more balanced conversation about London at this time. So I wrote My City and um, I, was, uh, I, I linked up with a very talented um, cameraman and, and director of phot photography, uh, Rob Ryan. And, and, and Paul Kerslop, and uh, we, we created this, this, this piece of, of, of visual art to go along with the poem that, I, that I'd written, and that ended up on Channel 4, and um, one thing led to another. So this is my city. My city has a lot of faces. Some can be found in forgotten places, comfortably sound with a lot of graces. The sun could be down in his Hungary town, but in London he found him a shot at greatness. My city has a lot of faces. Some can tell you what a loss of faith is. Before we hated people, we were all created equal. Then we learned to despise the strife, and we forgot variety is the spice of life. Look around you. Constantly standing on the brink of history, watching newsreaders linking mysteries. Even though a few reporters taught us to be cautious because they stink of this disease called inconsistency, see, my city has a lot of faces. Four of them belonging to Big Ben, the rest of them hidden behind big business, and Big Brother ensures all of them are monitored with them. Under social tensions, you can see London languishes. 30% minorities, 300 languages, differences, race and classes, all enormous, but the common ground we found surpasses all the borders. If you meet a rich man, be fast. Kiss all his daughters. <laughs> or his sons. We all live once. And who among us wouldn't want all of his funds? That's rhetorical, but I don't need call and response to know that's how Londoners are from time to time. Only got the time to grind and whine. Technically, I'm from an elegant city, but I'm not the kind to whine and dine. I grew up around lots of crime, the violent kind. You might have heard about the rocks, the grime, the hype and shine. It's not just cockney rhyming slang. We got blocks, violent gangs. Awkward interactions which most don't force. Children navigating through post-Cold Wars in estates with the least funding. Look at the state of East London. That's a paradox. Witness economy booming for the Havelots. Business is going to be booming. But what a sight to see. We could swap a nicety. There's a difference between having a front row seat and watching from the sidelines. TFL knows the world is your oyster, as long as you can afford it. Even though you might need to remortgage to get from Aldwych to Shoreditch. <laughs> Inconvenient if you're poor, which could be expected in a tax system where the more rich get more rich. 
273 times the wealth of the poorest, yet your door is next door to the extra poor. We look on the bright side, but we're vexed for sure. Like, all we have to ourselves is sex and war and a lot of diversity. So what could I personally hate a complexion for? I see different coloured hands outstretched for more. Feel free to come to London and still see the London dungeon. Experience a tube of mad claustrophobics where food and bad posture don't mix. And join us in moving along to the groove of the song. What a sight to see, we could swap a nicety. Some of us feel you've forgotten my city, but hopefully you'll be proving us wrong. If you can take the rough with the smooth, and it's on. It's on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, George, and I'm sure like if, uh, everyone else in the room could happily join me listening to you all evening. Yeah. But uh, I promised that you would have an opportunity to ask George questions, and oh, we'll cool, guarantee yeah. that. Um, Let's do that. As the microphone is getting ready, um, I think it's important for us to reflect on the opportunity that George has given us through his verse. Um, in Scotland, and particularly in Edinburgh, some of us some of the time can have a tendency to, to pat our backs and think, you know, we're doing pretty well as a society, and in many ways we are, but uh, tonight there's over a thousand children in the city's care system, and there's hundreds who are reliant on food banks for their dinner. And our young people are four times more likely to be stopped and searched by police than the young people of England. Um, as you're choosing what poignant questions to ask, uh, George, I'd like you to reflect on that. Um, do we have our microphone ready? It's over to you. This man up here. Hi, George. Huh? Uh, given your passion for social justice do you, are you, and your success, are you, uh, have you thought much about lending your uh, lending this to perhaps uh, you know like other like causes and things like that. Uh, lending my voice to other yeah, causes. Yeah, lending your identity to other causes. Yeah, very much so. Um, so this is um, the the beginning stage of what I'd planned in terms of my public profile. I I felt as though um, if I just came out with opinions and no kind of grounding in 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 in, in British culture, I would um, kind of stand less of a chance of making an impact and I'll be less relevant to young people who are my kind of primary um, target group. So um, all the while I've been working alongside causes and trying to uh, inc incorporate bigger agendas into my work and that will become more and more apparent. My last, my last musical release was my most politically charged yet. I, Search Party goes by the same name of my book. And that's very much the direction that I'm intending to progress in. This lady on the left here. Hi. Is this? Yes. Hi. Um, I think something that I've found in the like English poetry scene at the moment is there seems to be this tension between kind of super academic poetry uh, that is in like the LRB and no one nowhere else, and it's kind of rise in, um, I guess poetry more like yours, poetry more connected with rap. Um, I'm thinking of like Kate Tempest as another example, 
um, which often gets like derided in some of the like artsy media around. Um, and do you think there's a way of like resolving that tension and where the future of poetry is going? Big question, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm asked a lot about the tension between more traditional poetry and my kind of style of poetry. And um, that question has made me realize that I don't care. And the reason... <laughs> I, the reason <laughs> the reason I don't care is because um, my poetry came from a very functional place. It was trying to do something. It was trying to marry uh, the, the thoughts that I had inside of me and the things I wanted to articulate with the, with the community that was generally um, amongst which the, I suppose the champion tradition of discussion had been rap music. However, because rap music became so commercialized and... Um, the, the effects of that commercialization are quite apparent. I felt alienated from, from rap. So I took a step back and I started making my style more conversational and I started going back to the basic fundamentals of hip-hop and it, 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 it translates as poetry. So the perception of perhaps more traditional factions which may maybe turn their nose up at my style, it just isn't very relevant to what I'm trying to achieve. And it's, it, it doesn't actually do anything for anyone. It, like, if I was to get into that argument, I'm now giving validity to it. And if I was to win the argument, how do we measure a win of that argument? What's it going to do for my life? Absolutely nothing. So the, the short answer is, I personally don't care. Um, I would encourage others not to care. <laughs> <laughs> This gentleman in the front row. Hi there. Um, I, well, I guess I just wondered, following on from that, then, if you see your poetry as, as fitting in of a tradition of maybe like older poets, like people like John Cooper Clark, Linton Quesey Johnson, people like that, who are spoken word artists who, who have worked in the musical field as well, where there's a political tone to what they're writing and, and, and what they're performing as well. And therefore, I think as they have grown older, they have become, I suppose, more respected and more part of a broader canon of what is acceptable as mm -hmm. a, a kind of contemporary art form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Um, John Cooper Clark was a working class phenomenon. And um, he was received as such. I, that, I wasn't there at the time. <laughs> but, um, but it appears to me that his esteem has only grown over time. Um, people love to act like they know and it makes them feel cool but over and, and, and over time that, that, that coolness will, will transcend into culture you know it, it already has these, these people are, f are part of the fabric of British culture um, and I'll go even further so as, uh, as to say that we're in the same line of what Shakespeare did it's all social commentary in an artistic fashion who, uh, who accepts it right <laughs> and William Blake Wordsworth the rest of them um, so uh, the discussions around it aren't as important as the, the substance of what it is and its impact in society. Um, I'd, I'd just like to briefly mention, if you've not checked out George's SoundCloud and his YouTube, you definitely should. Um, I don't think John Cooper Clark had such well-produced music videos. <laughs> um, any more questions? Uh, this lady? 
um, I feel a bit cheated because you've spoken so beautifully about your different evolutions and the three parts of your book. And I was wondering if you would be so kind as to share what the third evolution is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and uh, just specifically to add, I'm also part of the hip-hop community within Edinburgh, and one of the really interesting things, I come more from a dance point of view, and one of the really interesting things about working with young people and um, the idea of peer education and uh, the sort of level of competitiveness and ego that comes into it is that uh, I find that the children also go through an evolution where first it's discovering the skill and then it's owning the skill and then it's discovering their individuality and then going beyond that. And so um, I, I'm very curious to hear about the next stage, particularly for that reason. Sure, okay. Thank, thank you for that question. Um, I've got uh, Keely from my publisher here and her answer would be, buy the book and you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we won't do that. Sorry, Keely. Um. <laughs> um, uh, my final stage was... Um, Acceptance. Acceptance is one of the hardest things. I had a lot of uh, get-ups within myself. I felt, uh, I felt a burden to um, pretend that I was other than what I was. I didn't want to bring too much of the estate into places, uh, the establishment where I was. I didn't want to bring too much of the establishment into the estate. Um, but I feel as though I, 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 when I was born, I was none of those things. Why would I internalize them now? I might reflect the environments that I've been exposed to, however, I'm still a soul, I'm a spirit that has as much as a, 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 a right to be remembered in the society as anyone else. Um, uh, so in, in, in the final stage of, of my kind of uh, birth as a poet, um, I started speaking about kind of the universality of human experience, the things we can build on given our current situations, um, there's an American uh, academic whose name escapes me, who, sp who speaks of critical hope, really coming to terms with the situation and building on that really harsh understanding. And that's very much where uh, my attention has turned since. Cool. This gentleman on the right. All right, George. Yeah. Uh, you said that uh, young people are your primary audience. And I'm a teacher, and I've been teaching your poems around East London for about the last three years. And I like them because they question the cliches. And if I asked the kids to write me a poem, the majority of the poems you'd get back, mainly from the lads, would be all, you know, all the cliches about how tough it is to live on the streets. And don't mess with me, I'm the number one G, all that bravado bragging stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was wondering, I've read a couple of things today in magazines that you're becoming the, the voice of, the, of a generation. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering how difficult it is for you when you sit down to write something to try and get the balance right between preaching and pandering. Because I, I kind of use you as a conduit to preach to the kids. Say, <laughs> Look, if I told them to do it, they'd say, no, oh, they'd ignore me and, and reject it. <laughs> I said, look, George says this, and he came from the same, came the same Raph's estate, so you've got to listen to him. <laughs> He's got the credentials. 
That's a very good question, and we were having a conversation about it just yesterday. And as I found throughout my teen years, the best thing to do is return to my little siblings and think about what I'm trying to do with them. Now, um, like I said, my, 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 the first of my younger brothers was born when I was six years old. I went through a lot of changes since he was born, and some of them were, weren't stages or phases that I'm particularly proud of. But what I always did was I tried to take what the truth as I perceived it to be. I tried to take that truth and uh, give it to him, relay it to him in a way that would be constructive. So um, it, I, I never was preaching. I could only ever advise based on my actual experience. Um, and fortunately, I'm in, a, I'm in a position to advise young people on a range of things. How to, you know, from the realities of some of my experiences in uh, relationships to how to make a successful Oxbridge application, how to, you know, manage uh, the, 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 the expectations of your parents or, or your teachers or the tension between creativity and academia or, you know, the displacement of being a, a, an, Im an immigrant or the importance of understanding international affairs. If, when I talk about these things, I'm not chatting shit. I'm not talking out my ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, uh, these are things that are extensions of the person that I am. So if it was to ever come across preachy, um, that, that could only come from, uh, from, from pretentiousness. That would only ever come from me speaking from anywhere other than the bottom of my heart, which I would never do. You said there's an element of education. If it came to a point where the kids start to say, as they do with me, when I'm trying to educate them, the kids start feeling as though what you were doing was preaching, uh, would you adapt your, your writing? I would. I would. Um, so, like I said, my last release, that's a very good question. So my last release was, um, go, goes by the name of Search the Party. Um, and in it, it's, it's, it's my, my most no-holds-barred release yet. Um, I'm, I'm speaking quite candidly on, 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 uh, on economic policy, uh, on uh, the, the, the North and South division, on a lot of the political climate of today. And I've received criticism of being preachy in that song, um, which I, I understand. Again, I don't care that much, but I do understand and being mindful of it in terms of trying to make sure that um, I'm still resonating and I'm not alienating people who haven't yet had the chance to meet me where I truly perceive myself to be, uh, I, uh, I, I, I have a, a, a range of narrative styles. Sometimes I just play characters. It's not me. But I'm just talking from the perspective of uh, someone that I perceive to be in this situation. As I did with my EP, The Chicken and the Egg, it's a story about premature parenthood a range of scenarios that I myself have never been in. But I, I speak about the realities of abortion as I perceived it, you know, from some of my closest friends. Fatherlessness, uh, 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 misplaced parental responsibility, being misled in terms of, you know, parenthood. Um, these are all the things that I've perceived and I spoke about it from a first-hand perspective and I've never been accused of being preachy on that one. So it's important to, to approach it as a project, again, try and be, as I am, as I was with my studies, try and be as objective as possible, P be prepared to learn from your audience. These are all things that come with the responsibility of what I'm trying to achieve. 
So I have to embrace that. This lady at the very back. Um, while the microphone's making its way, I would just like to say I don't think you should limit yourself to just trying to reach um, young people and, children and teenagers and young adults. Um, I'd recommend any teachers or social workers or librarians or anyone who devotes their career to working with young people or for the public to buy the book. And uh, flip pages so you find legacy, rip it out and stick it up on your staff room wall. Thank you. And when you get to it, you'll you. understand why. I, 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 just to clarify, I'm not saying that it's, it's, it's only for young people or um, um, young adults. You know, it's, it is for everyone. But I, I think the best thing that we could do is uh, try and make, uh, present to our young a map for a better world, even if we can't achieve it in our lifetimes. Yeah, it's just kind of following on from the last question. I always think it's odd when somebody actually begins to challenge the main points in society, all of a sudden become preachers. However, those on BBC each day aren't preachers, politicians aren't preachers. So the, qu the question I was going to ask on that basis, do you see yourself and the grasp that young people and the interest that young people are having in poetry and your take on the multi-million dollar hip-hop scene, as a way to actually stimulating our youth to begin to think, much, much like the referendum done here. And actually, the establishment gets frightened when the youth get stimulated because the youth begin to question, much as I think you do in much of your poetry. Mm. So do you see yourself as a stimulator for youth in terms of stimulating minds for change? Mm -hmm. um, I do see myself um, as, as, a, as a stimulator in, 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 that, in that sense. Um, I've so far been testing the water, been um, figuring out, you know, how to exist in the, in, in, in the public and how to marry my style with a more commercial or pop presence. And um, I've learned a lot. But to be honest, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> it's, get, it's about to get crazy, but it's... Um, it's uh, <laughs> um, but uh, that, um, the, 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 best, the best outcome for that from me would be that um, it, it really energizes others around me to, to, take it in, to take that impetus upon themselves and inject it with their originality. And we see just a new, a new, a new, uh, a, a new moment in, in our society. The young lady just behind you. Hi, um, I just want to say quickly, um, I live out in America and I've shown your stuff to a lot of my friends out there and I don't know what direction you're going in but you're in really massive demand over there. I think that you're really needed. Like, Thank you. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, obviously you've um, been hugely successful um, in the last couple of years and um, I just wanted to ask how you sort of navigate um, kind of keeping like your presence um, where you're from and your own community and keeping that connection there, but then also sort of appealing to wider audiences, how you sort of navigate and um, like that sort of relationship with those two aspects of yourself. Um, thanks for that question. Um, I think uh, it all stems from authenticity. As long as, like I was thinking about it earlier, a lot of um, uh, UK rappers Obviously, in the UK, <laughs> could have put that more intelligently. 
when they go over to America, their tactic is to sound as American as possible in their style, just the sonics of their music. And it falls through because the accent doesn't marry. And it's all lost in translation. Because why would an American rapper want to listen to a British guy trying to be American? <laughs> when there's an abundance of Americanness around them. Um, so what I try to do is uh, be, be true to my actual environment. I spend a lot of time in the community that I grew up in. Um, I revisit the, sa the same thing, the same process I went through in university. Um, revisiting the same phenomena that I grew up around and trying to re-understand it, trying to reconstruct some of my experiences. I don't stop that. You can never, there's no way you can ever understand everything about the present at any time. So it's, it's good to invest a lot, of, a lot of your present in revisiting history and extracting new knowledge from that. I do that all the time. And um, hopefully the authenticity carries. And then the second consideration for me to make is presentation. How do I present this in a way that Again, what I learned in university, I, I, I can present all the authenticity that I want, but if it's lost in translation or the proper context isn't provided, uh, then you know, I, I haven't done the complete job. So there's the, it, it's, it's a two-pronged approach, and um, I learn a bit more about it every day. This lady at the front, and then yourself at the back, sir. Um, I was somebody who hated poetry at school and I thought you had to read it in a monotone voice and it was only as an adult that I realised poetry is meant to be heard, it's meant to be spoken and that's what's fabulous about seeing you in person, actually hearing you speak your own words Thank you. and I would have loved to have more of that and put a whole hour of that. <laughs> <laughs> but my question back. is actually for Neil because I think it would be amazing for your young people to be able to hear George and I'm just wondering are any of them here tonight? Um, a few, but they, um, they asked me not to point them out. Anxious <laughs> 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 young people. Um, but um, I know George visits Scotland an awful lot, and uh, I'm, I'd be surprised if he not attended some of his gigs already, and um, he'll certainly be inundated with tickets at his next box office. <laughs> sure, I'll be back. I would definitely be back. And this gentleman at the back row? Who would you recommend? Who would I recommend is a good question. Um, Could I clarify, is that, is that poetry or hip-hop or just in general? Musically, poetry, spoken word. Okay. Um, hmm. Me? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, sorry, that's a facetious answer. Um, in honesty, I'm at a time in my life where I'm very wary of vouching for people. My time in the music industry, especially, has made me feel like uh, if you haven't met someone in person, be very careful about advocating for them because not everything is often as it seems. I've met Kate Tempest in person. I love Kate Tempest. There is a wealth of young uh, uh, poetry coming from our young people, and a lot of it does exist, is, exist on SoundCloud. If you are looped in with anyone, if there's anyone in your life who has uh, an interest in poetry, you know that person personally. Please take an interest in their, in, in, in their passion. That's what I would say, as opposed to some distant voice whom I can't personally put my name to. Um, 
that's what I would say. I, I would say, pay attention to your local scene. There is definitely poetry going on there. And I would love to be able to speak to you and, 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 and get from you who I can listen to. But I, I'll be honest, my time in the music industry has made me very wary about vouching for people. Uh, to follow up on that, Edinburgh has a tremendously vibrant um, poetry scene, which is very well established and increasingly a, um, a very um, popular and exciting hip-hop scene. Um, go online, you'll find it. Uh, we've got time for one last question, I think, maybe two, a push. Um, this gentleman in the front row. And then if there's time, uh, this lady, did you have a question, ma'am? Uh, <laughs> two rows back. Yourself, black top? <laughs> no? That's okay. <laughs> Sorry, sir. I wanted to ask, um, do you find going into pop and all that that you're, people try to shape what you're doing to make it more commercial? Do you have to fight that or how does that? Yeah. Because a lot of the radios and the music and all that is very repetitive, yep. pushing the same stuff. Is that like a constant? Without question. It is a fight. <laughs> and um, the way I try to win the argument, I always say to myself, to win the argument, you have to be the argument. Don't try and trick people into uh, seeing your point. So I try to offer them prop a proposition that is, is economically viable, that speaks their language. You know, I, f I think about it from their perspective and try and offer compromises. But what you often find, again, is, is, is ulterior motives. People are more thinking about how can we expand this thing to ensure us as many jobs as possible? at the expense of what it was initially intended to be. And that's, again, something that you have to learn. If you're trying to execute um, a job of this nature in a pre-existing marketplace, and you ultimately in intend to transform the marketplace, you have to be very strategic and very clear on how that, that will be executed. And it won't be, it won't be easy. Yeah. Um, time for one last question. Now's your chance, folks. Uh, this very keen lady in the middle section Two-thirds back. Could you possibly read us another poem? <laughs> we'd be here all night, people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got. I got to be the grown-up. I got to be the grown-up. It's lights out, kids. It's lights out, kids. It's lights out. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, I highly recommend you follow George on Twitter. Uh, he's. Be, how many times have you been to Scotland in the last year? <laughs> sorry people, sorry people, sorry, sorry, <laughs> can't do it, can't do it, George has visited Scotland uh, five times in the last year, is it five times in the last year you've been to Scotland? Can I give them one more poem? No man, I can't, I can't, it's my job man, I can't, no no, okay how about this, how about this, uh, uh, right now, right now, uh, I'm going to take George to two tenths on the left, which you only hear during festival. Wait, 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 wait. I've not even made the pitch. I've not even made the pitch yet. And he's going to be available for sign-ins. Maybe, 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 if you came along, George would be happy to read you a poem. <laughs> it's the best you're going to get, people. What do you say? Oh, well. Please, please, please. The world is a collection of people's dreams, evil schemes and legal teams, beautiful children, gleeful teens in a city full of regal scenes and feeble fiends. Market is the new community, 
hit the right target, you assume impunity. But at the end of the day, it's you and me. And whatever it is that's troubling you, it's not going to stop us from muddling through. You can find your answers in the mirror. One day I'll be in the beautiful sky dancing with Nabila. One day all of this will go. But the game is won way before the whistle blows. So be sure and kiss your foes. Life's too short for mistletoes. You can take this as advice or nothing more than wishful prose. But as long as you take care. Take care of yourself when I ain't there. Take time. Play fair. There's more to this world than Mayfair. There's more to this world than there is water in wells. People like to keep their minds all to themselves. Try having a thought for someone else for every thought of yourself, because there's more to this world. Spend time finding yourself. Spend time with your girl, because life is more precious than diamonds and pearls. And time flies, but the journey is only outbound. Every day is a countdown. Think about the past. It's just the bottom half of the hourglass. Sometimes I wonder how we'll last, but maybe lasting isn't our real task. So don't be scared. Their power's in the fear. But we have 8,760 hours in the year. And I'd say this whether or not I was in the clear. Focus on the now because you're here. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. I'm always going to have you close to me. Even if we only speak when we go to sleep, I pray the Lord your soul to keep. You will always feel love inside. And I'll see you on the other side. Thank you very much. you're overreacting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Edinburgh, George and your book festival clearly love you a great deal to treat you to that extra poem. <laughs> We're going to be two tents down in the signing tent. Please come and join us. After that, uh, the Spiegel tent is open for Juro Unbound until 1am if you want to go and get a drink. Um, please stay in your seats until George is... Please stay in your seats until George has left the tent. Otherwise, you'll just be there waiting for him. Uh, thank you, George Fouette. Thank you, Edinburgh. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.